Father, I thank you for the privilege we have to study your word. I pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your cell phones turned on still, please silence them. That would be great. A little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap as he was reading her a bedtime story, and from time to time she'd touch his face and then touch her face, touch his face, touch her face. And finally she said, Grandpa, did God make you? Yes, sweetheart, God made me a long time ago. Oh, Grandpa, did God make me too? Yes, indeed, honey, God made you just a little while ago. And feeling their respective faces again, she observed, God's getting better at it, isn't he? Well, that's true. Well, what a tremendous privilege we have to embark on the study of the book of Romans. This really is the most critical book of doctrine, and it helps us understand God's truth and as well apply it. It was almost 10 years ago that this study did a study on the book of Romans, and my, how our world has changed so radically in less than a decade. I don't think any of us could have imagined that in one decade's time, it would become a crime to teach what we're going to talk about today. On January 8th, in Canada, it is a crime for a pastor, or really anybody, to preach what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality. Bill C-4 passed without any opposition from the parliament. So if a pastor counsels a person to remain in their gender that they were born in, um, or describes marriage as one man with one woman, they are liable to up to two years in prison. Closer to home, many parts of our country, and I looked it up, it's 20 states um, that have already made, they call anti-conversion laws, that you cannot speak to a minor about these issues without it being against the law. In our country, it's more fines, not prison yet. Lafayette, Indiana, is soon voting on fining a pastor or biblical counselor, or really anybody for that matter, $1,000 a day for daring to advise a minor of the truths of God's word that we find here in chapter 1. So in this loss, it says that if a 14-year-old, let's say, for example, is talking to you at church requesting biblical answers for same-sex attraction or gender identity, according to the ordinance of this West Lafayette, Indiana, you would be breaking the law to discuss the issue from the Bible, not really, no matter who you are. So, if the Lord doesn't return in the next decade or two, and we do Romans once again, I can't imagine what our world will look like then. And even though it appears that evil is winning and dominant, we know that God is ultimately the one who wins. He will one day rule on his throne, on the planet Earth, with complete justice and holiness. As always, I am blessed to have the notes and the library available from my husband, and I'm thankful for all the great help that provides me in preparing for today. We know that in the first three chapters of this book, Paul's going to present the facts about the sinfulness and wickedness of all of mankind. All people are born sinners. He makes the point, there is none righteous, no, not one. The pagan man born in a remote jungle or the religious person in America have no righteousness of their own. It is only the gospel message that has the power to save sinners. The gospel reveals the holiness of God and his righteous standards. 
People have asked through the ages, well, what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? Don't they have a valid excuse? <clears throat> so for three chapters, Paul is going to really act like a prosecuting attorney and present the evidence for the fact that all people are guilty and have offended a holy God. In verses 18 through 32, the first to stand trial are the heathen, unbelievers who have never heard anything about God, the Bible, Jesus. And many people think these people who have never had an opportunity to hear have a valid excuse to stand before God. But in our study today, we realize God says something totally different than that. Any person who has ever lived has not and has not conformed to the holy standards of God is responsible for their sin. They are not righteous. They are ungodly. They have rejected the true God, even if they have never heard of the name of Jesus. This entire book presents us with the righteousness of God. As Paul first presents it, then he will go on to defend it, and then he will go on to demonstrate it. There is so much to cover in 32 verses, uh, and we have 30 minutes, and I've already lost three. So <clears throat> I want to spend the majority of our time in the last section, 18 through 32, so I'm just going to briefly touch on these first 17 verses. In the first 17 verses, Paul wants to acquaint himself and prove that he is a qualified instrument of God's message about salvation. So when we read in verse 1 that Paul is a bondservant of Christ Jesus, he is a called apostle, he is set apart for the gospel of God, and Paul wants his church to understand and be convinced that he is a representative of Jesus Christ. They didn't know Paul. He had never been to Rome before. And it was critical that they see he was God's servant and he was speaking on God's behalf, his truth. In verses 2 through 7, Paul makes it clear that what he preached wasn't something he made up. Its roots were in the Old Testament. And God keeps his promises to those who, that he gave to the prophets that he would indeed send the Messiah. Paul's not giving a message that contradicts the Old Testament. Paul makes it clear that the Messiah has already been here. The gospel is the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. In verses 8 through 15, Paul wants to convince these Roman believers that he has a great concern for them, even though he had never been to see them. And he had not founded that church. He was very thankful for them. He constantly prayed for them. And just because he had not been able to get to Rome yet did not mean he didn't love them and care for them. In verse 11, Paul tells them how he longs to see them. He knows that being with them will be such a great encouragement mutually. Verses 13 through 15, he makes it clear that he longs for the day he could be in Rome and proclaim the gospel there, just as he had been doing throughout all the Roman Empire. Paul needed them to understand that he had not purposely stayed away from Rome, as some had accused him of, that he was just afraid to come to the intellectuals. He was not ashamed of the gospel of God, who in the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and the Greek. So he closes this section by quoting from Habakkuk that the righteous man shall live by faith. So now we're going to step into this imaginary courtroom setting where Paul is going to put the entire world on trial. And the people on trial at our first study this week are the pagan man, proof that the heathen are guilty before a holy God. We read in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. 
in unrighteousness. How few Bible teachers and authors today ever, ever even speak about the wrath of God. They simply emphasize the love of God and how you can have your best life today. But failure to speak about his wrath makes the gospel message very muddled and unclear. Wrath is not punishment, but rather it is God's attitude and his emotion and his hatred towards unrighteousness. Wrath is his attitude against sin because sin destroys what he created. God loves the sinner, but his wrath hates the sin. This is not like our anger or our hatred, which results usually from our pride being wounded by somebody saying or doing something that hurts our feelings. God has a proper and holy hatred of sin. His wrath is revealed from heaven. Now, there are all kinds of consequences for our sins. People of all ages have that inward understanding that they have offended a power much greater than them. There is an awareness within all of us that there is a just God and we have done very wrong, unjust things. We just studied Genesis where we saw Adam and Eve instantly realized they had sinned when they ate the forbidden fruit and they hid themselves from God. This wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The ungodliness is a lack of reverence towards God, simply a total disregard for him. Unrighteousness speaks of all the deeds that are completely contrary to what God's will is. So when people refuse to acknowledge God or worship him, this leads to a total disregard then for what his holy standards are. But can the heathen person know about God and and reverence him? Is he really responsible? Well, we read in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they knew about him, They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. So these verses make it very clear that everyone deserves the wrath of God because everyone is unrighteous. Everyone is ungodly. Mankind suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. So people suppress, they hold it down, uh, truths that are obvious about God. Even those who have never heard about the one true God, have never had a Bible to read, have suppressed the truth about God. How do they do this? Well, since creation of time, everyone born has been given the truth about God through nature all around them. Psalm 19 reminds us the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse declares the work of his hands. So the most ignorant person of spiritual truth, that is, in some dark jungle can look at the stars and the moon and lightning and flowers and insects and animals and oceans and the birth of a baby. All can know there is a powerful God. In verse 20, it speaks of his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. So when people observe this power in nature, they can realize that God is a real person. He is supreme and far supreme in power beyond that which he has created. 
I'm always reminded of the story of a young woman I met. Uh, we met when she was, we were both had small children. Her name is Martha Albright. She grew up in the jungles of Suriname. And as a young girl, about 12, she looked up at the beauty and grandeur of creation and realized there has to be one far greater and more powerful than any human. And she called out to him. She said, Lord, I don't, know who, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are, but I want to know you. Within a short time, some missionaries came to her village and shared the gospel with her. And she was ready to believe. She trusted Christ and was kicked out of her family immediately. The missionaries in time took her in. Eventually, she ended up in America where she married her husband and raised her family. Nature is a witness to all people that there is an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing person behind this creation. The mind that God has given to man is able to make obvious conclusions from effect to cause. Animals can't do that. We have language and we can communicate. No person can stand before God and say, God did not ever reveal himself to me. Even if you know nothing about Jesus, nothing about the Bible, creation should bring a sense of awe and wonder and respect to the God who made it. God intended for his creation to bring people to a proper response to him. But pagan man did not respond. We read in verse 21 that even though they knew about God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. So instead of having a humble heart, seeking the creator as my acquaintance friend Martha did. Man in general has rejected the truth that has been clearly revealed to him. They are without any excuse because when they knew the truth about God just from observing nature where they saw power and wisdom and orderliness and goodness, they rejected him. They refused to worship him, refused to give him glory or to honor him. And even though creation declares the glory of God, people refuse to embrace the truth with their stubborn hearts of defiance and choose not to worship him. People were created to give glory to God. But mankind refused to acknowledge God's kindness and his benefits and how he shows kindness. Paul proves that ancient pagan man has a charge against him from holy righteous God. And the same is true for mankind today. We too live in a world that refuses to acknowledge him and glorify him. People will not submit their lives to God who has given them the light of creation in order to convince them of who he is. People, when people refuse to recognize God for all that he is, then they will refuse to be grateful to God for all he has given, air to breathe, strength, health, food, family. People are happy to benefit and use his gifts, but they are not willing to worship him or praise him for his gifts. <clears throat> and what happened when people rejects what happens when they reject the light of God from creation? They became futile in the speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's as if people turned off the light that God has given them and the result is a heart that just gets darker and darker and darker. And now they filled their minds with irrelevant, useful, useless speculations about God. They suppress the truth about God that's clearly revealed, and in its place, they've substituted their own worthless reasoning and speculations. And this is the reason there is so much error about God and so much false religion. Mankind has rejected the revelation of God, and then they substitute it with their own thoughts. They're going to come up with their own God. 
People are by nature religious, not because they have a passion to know the true God, rather because they refuse to accept the one and true God. The truth is mankind is going backwards away from God, not towards him. At one time, people knew there was a one true God who alone should be worshipped by his creation, but they decided not to worship him and chose to invent their own ideas about God. Educated people created their own ideas as to how man got here, how the earth began. With incredible intellectual pride, man becomes a fool. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. People begin to believe what they think is final authority. All of man's human philosophy only leads him further into darkness. A hundred plus years of pushing evolution as a valid intellectual science as to the origin of all things, reveals what a fool man is. In man's wisdom, they say a baby isn't a baby in the womb. It's a fetal tissue that can be destroyed at a mother's whim. Man in his highly educated state, and I have read this before, who study human behavior would deny that pornography affects the behavior of individuals acting out what they have watched. As mankind plunges further into his dark thinking, he then is able to justify every evil he wants to do. They're not responsible for their sexual preferences or abuse of children. This is simply who they are. And society tries to silence truth about God. So what is the goodness of God is called luck or fortune. What is the power of God in a hurricane and a tornado and a blizzard? That's just mother nature. And what is destiny and fate? Uh, that's why things happen to you. So as people sink deeper into the darkness of their own minds, they now decide to create things to worship. There is a part of man that longs to worship. That was put there by God. But having refused to worship the creator, they invent the gods of their own minds to worship. Our culture, our primary god is us. Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the corruptible God for the image of forms of birds and four-footed animals. So instead of the creator, uh, worshiping the creator of heaven and earth, man begins worshiping man as God or parts of creation. Something has, to take, uh, something has to take the place of God who they've rejected so people invent their own gods. How many people give their lives to save a particular animal on the planet? yet would have no connection of the dots to save a human life. I think I mentioned this a while back when my son-in-law took his son fishing and he was verbally and violently attacked by someone screaming at him that fish have feelings too and you're invading their home just because they don't have eyebrows, don't think they don't have feelings, and told my grandson that her dad was a murderer. And this went on and on. It's like a 25-minute altercation. When my son brought, son-in-law brought up, well, what about... Do you have a concern for the life and wounds, you know, of mothers? And, oh, that was just off the charts. What are you talking about? Like, that has anything to do with what I'm doing. But this is the darkness of the mind. When people deny the worship of the true God, then they deny him, and then they replace him by inventing gods to worship. False gods and false religions then become the justification for their anger, for their hatred, for their murder, for killing, because my God says, it's okay, I should do this. Even an atheist worships their own intelligence and their own ability to reason in their own minds. Holy God cannot simply look away and do nothing 
about the horrors and the injustices going on. God is angry with man's sin. And that brings us to the last section of our chapter. The wrath of God is displayed. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So in these verses, we see how God displays his wrath. This is happening all around us every day. Yes, there is a future judgment to be sure, but God's wrath is also a present day reality. God displays his wrath by letting people have their own way. God abandons man, rather he lets him go, he takes his hands off humanity. God gives them over to the lusts that are in their hearts and to impurity so that their bodies are dishonored. So as people have refused the testimony of nature, then they run after other gods that are false. God then removes his restraints from society so that what is done in secret is now brought out into the open and becomes acceptable. God lets people behave the way they want, and the consequences of their, of their own sin is actually the wrath of God being carried out. We see the wrath of God displayed by the wickedness in our society today. The restraints of sin are removed by God, and people are swept away by their own sins into this deep, spiraling pit that just keeps going deeper and darker. Don't imagine that there are not horrific consequences to all who reject him, to mock him, and to despise him and curse him. The last nine verses then of this chapter describe how pagan man, as well as man in our culture today, behaves in such vile ways that God simply lets them go and do what it is they want to do. This is the wrath of God. Punishing people for their sin by letting them do what their wicked hearts want to do. And sadly, reaping all kinds of horrific consequences. Our world has gone mad with lust and vile passions and hatred and extortion and murder and theft and drugs and on and on. Throughout all of history, when peoples and societies forsake God, God has punished them by letting them go their own way. And they experience the pain that their own rebellion, own rebellion brings. God did this even with his own chosen people. Israel, we read in Psalm 81, but my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices and my, how they suffered. Sin ravages the culture we live in as it denies the truth and then blames God, the God of the Bible and often his followers for any number of bad things that happen. There are wars and famines, there is hatred of races, there is abuse of, men, or of women and children. These are all the results of man doing what he wants to do. God doesn't violate a person's will and make them obey him. He lets them do what they want and it brings consequences. We see the expression, God gave them over. And it really is the thought of a judicial sense uh, to be handed over to an imprisonment that would inflict pain upon them. Look around at the men 
castrating themselves to try to be a woman. I know of two women in their 20s having their breasts removed so they can be a man. This is the experience of every society that has chosen to cast off God, who in turn, then God gives them over to their own sinful desires. Then they become prisoners of their own lusts. And God actually inflicts pain on them by simply letting them inflict pain on themselves. And we see this clearly with sexual immorality. People become enslaved to their own lustful, immoral sexual desires. And they think they are free to do whatever it is they want to do. But the truth is, they're imprisoned and trapped. God delivers them over to do what their wicked hearts want to do. And man, without any restraints, then puts into action unspeakable, vile desires. And the result is that their bodies might be dishonored among them. People convince themselves of their biological need for sex, so they don't care how they meet that need. For many, it's an extramarital affair. For some, they go down the path of homosexuality. Some are pedophiles and prefer children. And all are convinced that this is their right and this is how they've been made. And the reason they can't control themselves is because God has given them over to their lustful hearts and they just can't stop. They're in a self-made prison. You can send a predator to prison for harming children, but that's not going to change their warped thinking or enslavement to their lust that they can't satisfy. This is the wrath of God on display. And verse 25, why has God done this? The truth of God and his power and goodness have been exchanged for a lie. The lie being perpetuated is that some other personal idol is, God, is their own God. And people worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And just mentioning the true creator, Paul breaks out into praise saying, God is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 26 and following, Paul gives an example of man's kind sexual uncleanness as he speaks now specifically about the sins of homosexuality and lesbianism. Regardless of what the learned people of our day may declare and the laws that they may try to impose, God calls this behavior sin. <clears throat> it's not a learned behavior. I mean, it's not a condition you are born with. It is a learned behavior that has its roots in an initial fantasy experience followed by pleasurable experiences and thoughts pursuing more experiences, which then becomes a pattern of life. God then gave them over to degrading passions that dishonor him. Women with women, men with men, attempting to fill a sexual desire and passions that are against the laws of nature. It brings about the destruction of God's design for the family unit that he made. And it's contrary to the plan of God at creation when he made a woman to complete a man. Paul makes this point by saying for their women, it's like, it's like mind-boggling that even their women engaged in this kind of perversion, even probably more startling than men who usually have a greater sex drive, this degrading passion is against nature, and the hold that it has on their lives causes them to burn with lust and desires for one another. Their life focus becomes satisfying that desire, and this is the world we live in. This is our society. They want to be applauded and accepted as completely normal by everyone, and they don't even realize it's become a self-inflicted bondage of a lifestyle that is anything but happy and gay. God calls this sexual sin indecent, a perversion of God's design for men and women. 
There is a burning lust level among those enslaved to the sin, rarely known among heterosexuals. I remind you of Genesis 19 when Sodom, uh, the men of Sodom wearied themselves trying to find the door when the angels struck them with blindness because they wanted so badly to have sex with the men that Lot was hosting. We live in a time that says this behavior is completely acceptable and normal and should be applauded and certainly celebrated for the month of June. Uh, People claim they are born this way. I have family members that say that, and so they are not responsible for their actions, even though a pedophile would make the exact same claim. But God's word has to be our final authority. God condemns this behavior. It was punishable by death in the Old Testament, as was adultery. Everyone born on this planet, everyone sitting in this room, each of us are born sinners. And all sinners have different tendencies, different leanings, are tempted by different sins. You aren't born, and your mom brought you home. When you brought home your baby, you don't look and say, oh, a murderer. (laughs) Oh, a pedophile. No, these are learned behaviors that become habitual when they are not repented of. They are a person's own choice. And the result of choosing the sexual sin as a lifestyle brings with it, Paul says, the due penalty of their error. There are so many sad physical consequences of this sin that shows God's condemnation of it. The great loneliness, the depression, the guilt, the many transitory relationships, the health issues are just a few of the sorrows that come with this lifestyle. But praise God, for the power of the gospel that sets the captive free. As Paul said, and such were some of you. In our day, you can read incredible testimonies of women like Rosaria Butterfield, if you've never listened to her testimony, look her up on YouTube, who led a a rather militant university professor uh, who stood with the lesbian community as a lesbian, pushing their uh, agenda. And from a neighbor who was a pastor just kindly inviting her to dinner. Uh, Within a few years, she came to faith in Christ. And God has saved her. She's a pastor's wife and a mother today. She has written tremendous books and books about hospitality and how to use the same way to reach out. So how terrible that the church has often failed to lovingly reach out to this community and express love and invite them in their home. We are the only people who have a message of hope. We are the only people who can give them the answer to set them free from their sin. There is forgiveness for all sin to any who repent and trust Christ. As I said, we alone have the message of hope and we must share it regardless of the lifestyle they're engaged in. And I'm sure, like me, many of you have loved ones and family members who have chosen this lifestyle. And we must love them unconditionally. We must show kindness abundantly. That doesn't mean we condone what they do, but we must make sure they know how much we love them and care. Well, for the results of a depraved mind, as he closes out this chapter, people from all cultures that turn away from the light of God are given over to the depraved mind, and the result is they do the things that are not proper. The pagan that has rejected and suppressed the truth about God engages in things that are not fit for man to do. Their mind is corrupt. They exploit people. And Paul then goes on to list behaviors that represent just some of the endless sins that men and women are filled with. Everybody born is totally depraved, you, me, everyone. 
We have no goodness in ourselves. And that is why the gospel is all about the grace of God, undeserved favor, as he came to die for sinners like you and me. Paul speaks of wickedness, delighting in doing acts of evil, greed, never getting enough of what you want. There's uh, people characterized by envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, hating God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. You think about all the torture techniques. I mean, these are inventors of evil. How can I inflict the most pain? Disobedient to parents, no respect for authority, no spiritual understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, lacking even natural affection for their family, showing no mercy, cruel to people and animals. And this is the culture we live in. And the closing verse says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. People know they are doing wrong, yet they continue that sin because they suppress the guilt, and then they applaud others who do the same. And the only hope for the unrighteous state of every person on this planet comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question really comes down because we've been bombarded with so much error in our culture. Who is your final authority? Have you been deceived in our culture by our educators? Our study today explains to us why our country is in the awful state it is in. It is the wrath of God. As believers, we are the only ones who can offer hope and freedom from the bondage of sin, all sins, the, the list that he gave here at the end. And it's only the righteousness of Christ and his perfect life and death that can save depraved sinners like you and me. Believing this and counseling others with the same truth is going to cost you something. Either by being imprisoned, if we were in Canada, and let's not fool ourselves that this is not coming here, or being fined for holding to the scripture and actually talking to somebody about this. That day isn't coming, that day is here now. So will you be faithful to believe his word and to teach it to others? Let's pray. Father, this is a hard chapter, but I thank you that you've included it in your word so we have a better understanding of how our world can be the way it is. Lord, mankind has always suppressed the truth about you. Your evidence that you exist is all around, and they just refuse and create their own gods instead. Father, I pray for courage to be grandparents and parents and teachers and counselors who are not afraid to speak to a minor about these questions as they are being told lies. I pray that you will give us the boldness and courage no matter what it's going to cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.